Thank you for pressing start on episode 22 of Underplayed, KZUM's indie video game podcast. Today, we recap and reflect on the games of season two and take a look ahead by planning our featured game roster for season three. Here on Underplayed, we review indie games of all kinds, the games with small budgets but big hearts, the lesser-known experiences with imaginative ideas. I'm Bopo, and joining me is my player two, Disco Cola. Welcome, Disco Cola. Thank you, Bopo. How are you today? I'm doing super fine. We are at the end of season two. It is our finale episode. Hey, we, we did it. We stinking made it. Bro. We did. I kind of can't believe it. It's always so <laughs> sort of daunting to be on the front end of a season and yeah. be like, oh, we have to play a collective 30 games yeah. uh, over the next four or five months. But here we are at the end of another season. It actually went by really fast uh, for me. And uh, today we're going to reflect on those 30 games we played. We're going to give some quasi awards, do some rankings, um, and then we're going to talk about what games we want to feature for our upcoming season three. So we have a very long list of games. It's huge now. That are eligible (laughs) to be featured games. And it's actually at a very nice, crisp 100 games. No way. Our list is 100 games long. We didn't plan that. I don't. Did you? I didn't plan that. I did not plan that one bit. So, yeah. So we're going to pick uh, 10% of the games out of that list will be our featured games of season three. Gosh, which is that actually crazy. seems like a lot though, like 10%. Yeah. Anyways. It seems like a lot of games to pick from, but yeah, it is a healthy percentage. So before we go into part one of this episode, I just want to ask, how do you feel after season two? And what are you looking forward to doing in our little break we take between seasons? Uh, I feel like season two went really well. Honestly, like we played a lot of games that, uh, huge variety of games, which maybe we didn't, wasn't quite as as well met in the first season, but tons of variety here. Games we liked, games we kind of hated. Uh, so <laughs> yes. we 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 covered everything, I think. And then, um, yeah, what am I looking forward to playing? Uh, actually, right after, like an hour before our last recording for for episode twenty one. I picked up uh, Digimon Survive, my Digimon Survive pre-orders. So. Yes, as we sit down this week, that game just came out. Yep. Yes. Yep, and I've I've already been playing it every night since I picked it up, and uh, it's fine so far. You okay. Know, visual novel tactics style battle. So, Interesting. Okay. Uh, new new for Digimon. They've never done that before, but so far, that was going to be my next question: yeah. is is that a style they've explored? No. Nope. Digimon okay. games are always pretty much always different so interesting um yeah looking forward to that might play some danganronpa get that out of the way uh i think regardless of whether or not we have it in season three i'm gonna try to finish solar ash because i had a lot of fun in the 45 minutes that i played that the day it came out nice so. well who knows maybe one of us will plan on picking it as a featured game yeah. so we'll get into the tactics of all that stuff before we start part two of this podcast yeah. but uh, just know that I've actually selected some ideas for what to pick for our featured games for season three. So I have a list yeah. kind of ready to go. But what I pick from that list is going to be reactionary based on what you pick because we'll take turns going back and forth. Same. Picking I sort of have like a games. smaller pool of like yeah. ones that I'm looking Me too. forward to. So we might have crossover. We might not. We'll see. But What are you going to play on our break? I know that we're going to play Super Mario World 
pretty yes. soon. You and I are sitting down to play Super Mario World with some friends um, for my birthday, actually. Uh, it's my favorite game of all time, and it's just what I want to play uh, on my birthday. So I that'll play, be fun. I play Mega Man X every year on my birthday. That's so fun. Yeah. I love that. So I've never really played it on my birthday for my birthday. So uh, excited to do that with you and some friends. I also, you know, we delay pushing out episodes compared to when we record them. So we've already recorded all of the main episodes of season two. So I've actually gotten a head start on starting some of the games that I wanted to play in the break. So I started Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which is an uh, EA published Star Wars game from a few years back that's uh, super highly regarded, well-reviewed. People love this thing. And so I started playing it. It's a third-person action adventure game mm-hmm. set in the Star Wars universe with new characters and stuff. And I'm not a huge, like, diehard Star Wars fan, but I do follow all of the major, like, uh, pieces of media that come out of the Star Wars universe. So I like following this game. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I also want to try Control, uh, also from a few years ago, another third-person oh, yeah, action game. Yeah. Um, I also want to try the new DLC for Cuphead that released earlier this summer, uh, The Delicious Last Course. I've heard that's amazing. I also want to do some more DLC for Ghost of Tsushima. So I'm picking lots of like kind of big action games that I don't get to play as much mm-hmm. when we're doing underplayed preparation. So that's where my tastes tend to go is like, what have I not gotten a taste of recently? So a lot of stuff there. I'm anticipating being able to do most of that. And if there's extra time, I will try to tackle some online trophies for various games from like <laughs> 2015 onward. I'm going to try to do just the online trophies to get them out of the way, get those cleaned up so that I know that I can get the platinum or the 100% someday without being locked out because of server shutdowns. Yeah, we've got so, a lot of those, my dude. We do. Uh, we'll never clear all those nope. out of our queues, but we'll do our best. But uh, I think we can now move on to part one of our episode, which is our season two recap and reflection. And we don't have any music to play to intro this, <laughs> but it seems like we should have music uh, to <laughs> intro this part. But we'll just roll right, right into it. So uh, new listeners to the program, uh, maybe you're jumping on right here. I would say that out of all season two episodes, this might not be the best one to start with. But just so you know, every normal episode of Underplayed, we each pick a secret game to play. It is a game the other person doesn't know, the other person is picking. Uh, we play it in secret. Sometimes it corresponds to our featured game in some way. Sometimes it's completely different. And uh, we review two of those secret games every episode. And we're going to look back at the 20 secret games we picked for season two. We're going to just talk about our superficial scores in this first part. So we're running down what each of our 10 secret games were, what our ratings were, and then we're going to observe hey, what were the scores like? And what do we maybe regret score-wise? What would we rescore any games if we were to rescore them this moment? So Disco Cola, why don't you run down your 10 secret games from season two and what you scored each one? All right. In order, my first secret game is Bug Fables, The Everlasting Sapling. I gave that a six. Second was Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. I gave that a 7.5. Creature in the Well was third. I gave that an 8. Subway Midnight was on the fourth, and I gave that a 6.5. 
Iconoclasts for episode five of season two. I gave that a perfect 10 uh, for episode six. Creeks by Amanita Designs. I gave that a 7.5. Lost Ruins on episode seven. I gave that a seven. Treasures of the Aegean on episode eight. I gave that a 7.5. Wilmot's Warehouse on episode nine. I gave that a seven. And Slime Rancher on episode 10. And I gave that an eight out of 10. I will run down my 10 secret games. Episode 12, a.k.a. Season 2, Episode 1, Golf Story. I rated that as 6.5. Episode 2 of Season 2, Dear Esther Landmark Edition. I rated that one a 6.5 as well. The third episode, Grapple Dog. I rated that an 8. On Season 2, Episode 4, it was 1979 Revolution Black Friday. I rated that a 7. <laughs> Uh, episode five was Snaky Bus. I rated that a 5.5. Episode six was Cat Lateral Damage Remeowstered. I rated that a 6.5. Episode seven was Teacup. I rated that a 7.5. Episode eight was Aerial Knights Never Yield. I rated that a seven. Episode nine was Replica. I rated that a six. And episode 10 was Omno. I rated that an 8.5, which... Up to that point is the highest score I've awarded a secret game. I want to now just look at these scores. Is there anything that jumps out at you trend-wise, or are there any regrets you have about your scores? So I'm going to say, like at least for me, not quite as much super beloved stuff in here. Like, Sure, I gave a, a 10 in there for Iconoclast, and your, your 8.5 Omno is a great score for you, for sure. Um but it's a lot of stuff that I don't really think stands out a ton, especially compared to some of the secret games I played in season one. A lot of games I still think about um, pretty often. So um, as far as regrets, uh, I might bump Treasures of the Aegean and Creeks down about half a point. Okay. Uh, and I don't even really feel that strongly about doing that. So uh, otherwise, no regrets. How about yourself? I don't really have any regrets. I'm looking back through this and I think if I made any any adjustments, it would be, you know, a 0.5 up or down here or there. Uh, my highest rated ones were Omno and then Grapple Dog. Uh, this, the games being awarded something eight or more. So um, I definitely came away like very much enjoying those games and found something to enjoy with everything else. Nothing was scored lower than a 5.5. Um, in season one, I had a lot of low score games. I was, I, remember that, yeah. uh, I had to be pretty harsh on some of the ratings then, but I also had some pretty harsh experiences with those games. But here it was much more consistent, much more even. Now I calculated our averages for our secret games. On average, I scored a 6.9 to my secret games, you scored a 7.5 on average. Uh, so we were both kind of close and that's in that range where it's uh, still positive. You know, mm -hmm. all of our scores in that uh, overall positive range. I think my only score creeping into the lower half is with Snaky Bus. You know, I gave that a 5.5. But other than that, we're in the sixes and sevens and above uh, on the secret games. So we will talk more about those games in a moment when we start uh, covering our quasi-awards, but I mostly just wanted to get the superficial scores uh, out of the way, and 
uh, just let people know that when we do rankings, uh, we might score certain things a little bit higher with those than uh, compared to our numeric scores. And we're ignoring the numeric scores uh, for our rankings because they're a very emotional decision based on uh, how we feel at this moment as we sit down to record our season two finale. Um, but first, we're going to break down our scores for the featured games. So I can just run down all of these for both of us. Episode 12, we had Hollow Knight Void Heart Edition. You rated it a 9.5. I rated it a perfect 10, my first 10 on Underplay. Yeah, man. Episode 13, we had What Remains of Edith Finch. You rated it a 7.5. I rated it a 9. Episode 14, Death's Door, we both rated it a 9. Episode 15 was Doki Doki Literature Club Plus. You rated it a 9.5. I rated it a 6. Episode 16 was Celeste. You rated it a 9. I rated it a 9.5. Episode 17 was Kentucky Route Zero TV Edition. You rated it a 6.5. I rated it a 7.5. Episode 18 was Momodora Reverie Under the Moonlight. We both rated that an 8. Episode 19 was 12 Minutes. You rated it a 7. I gave it a 4. Episode 20 was Unpacking. You gave it a perfect 10. I gave it a 9.5. And our last normal episode of season two, episode 21, we had Disco Elysium, the final cut for our featured game. You rated it a six. I gave it an eight out of 10. My average score for uh, featured games was 8.05. Your average score was 8.2. We were even closer (laughs) with this average. What do you notice about these scores? Anything you would rescore if you had the chance? Uh, well, we played some really great featured games this time around. Um, we each gave a 10. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I was, I'm, sometimes I'm worried that we're devaluing a 10, but, uh, these are some great games. Yeah. And in my mind, a 10 is like not a flawless game. I think 10s often have imperfections here and there, but Mm -hmm. they're so good that they just, you know, they're elevated to that level where we have to give them a, a special award. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think most of my regrets lie probably in 12 minutes. Uh, when I think about it, I think about how much I didn't really enjoy it. So I might bump it down to a 5.5 or a 6. That would bring our our average a little bit closer. It would, yeah. I might add 0.5 to Death's Door for a 9.5. Yeah, I thought about that too. That's one I would bump up to 9.5. I think I would keep everything else exactly in its spot. Um, I thought about, well, would I want to bump unpacking up to a 10? Maybe, but I already bumped it up to a 9.5 from a 9. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think if I were to someday replay Disco Elysium, the final cuts, going in with the knowledge that I have now about that game and getting a lot of the beginner frustrations out of the way, Going through that again might make that an 8.5 experience for me, just not having a lot of the learning curve uh, to worry about. So maybe that one would change on a replay. But yeah, I like all these scores that I gave. Um, So now that we've talked about all the scores, it is time for possibly the biggest category. It is the top five games we played this season. This is our rankings of our individual top five list of games we played for season two. They can be any combination of secret or featured games. So all five of yours can be secret, all five of them can be featured, or there can be a mixture. Um, The ranking is, again, an emotional decision based on how we feel this week we're recording. 
And importantly, we're disregarding our scores. If one of us feels a certain game is the number one, but they originally scored it 0.5 points lower than the number two pick, we're not going to worry about that. Uh, so that's why we, we addressed any of those score regrets up top, just to get that out of the way. So we're going to share one game at a time, going back and forth, starting at number five. And uh, for each top five game, uh, feel free to share a little bit about what it accomplished for you, why it beats out other games, whether you've revisited it, um, how it's occupied your mind since we reviewed it. So, uh, you know what? I will start. Oh, uh, oh I, before you do, I just want to let you know that I have what I think are your top five written down here. Oh, I love that. Oh, my gosh. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to say all five of those up top or do you want me to do you want to get through the list and then at the end, you tell me how many you had right. How do you want to do ooh, that? How do you want ooh. to reveal that? Because mm. I did not. And do you want me to do that for you? I mean, I didn't come prepared. Um, I think it makes the most sense for you to reveal it. And then maybe I can reveal mine. And then I could say, you know, Bopo, for you, I had okay. such and such at number five. And then I'll try to pick one for you, uh, what I would have uh, guest as well. Well, but then, oh, but then maybe at the same time, what if that's the next one? What if what I picked for your number five is actually your number four? That kind of, that feels like that cheapens the reveal. It does kind of cheapen the reveal. Let's just save your list of what you think at the end. Yes. And we'll see how right you were. And I'm going to really quickly pick five that I think are your top five. Okay. So, and you know what? Maybe we'll keep this in, but I'm going to do a little edit that I acknowledge right now. I have now written what I think are your top five from season two. I love how messy this is already. I'm going to start with my number five pick, and it is Omno. Omno was my... Favorite secret game from season two, which might be a little bit of a spoiler about whether my secret games will show up again in spots one through four. But Omno is just such a charming adventure game that has beautiful visuals, beautiful music, great creature design, and is just so easily enjoyable by everybody. So I think it's a very accessible game. It's got a really nice final sequence and moment that has stayed with me since I played it. I really hope the developer makes another game like this, maybe an Omno 2. It was made by one person, so that alone is really fascinating and impressive. It's the game that I hope that you, Disco Cola, play someday from my list of secret games from season two. So uh, Omno is my number five. All right. My number five is Celeste. Now, uh, Celeste was a game that I had been looking forward to for a long time, but also dreading for a long time because I knew uh, about its difficulty. Um, but I found a lot of joy in the difficult parts of Celeste, which I didn't expect. And so just like playing those B-sides and, and finding myself just like really uh, enraptured by the challenge uh, was a was a surprise to me. So Celeste, my number five. My number four 
is Celeste. Ooh. <laughs> Are we getting into the trend where I, <laughs> I rank everything one time. higher <laughs> than you? That happened in season one. Uh, Celeste, yeah, everything you said is so accurate. Uh, Celeste is beautiful. It adds so much to the world of 2D platformers. The music is great. I found myself really loving the B-side music this time. It was not my first time playing Celeste for this show, so I felt like it allowed me to pay attention to some of the aspects. I didn't get to um, hone in on as much the first time I played several years back. It is a beautiful game that uh, matures in its story as it goes along and made me reflect on times when I've had some emotionally challenging things going on where I had to learn how to cope, uh, learn how to socialize with friends to get over it, um, to to seek guidance and things like that. So there's a lot to this game. It's an impressively deep game if you want to delve into lots of technical maneuvers. There's a speedrunning community that's fascinating behind this game. So there's a lot of content uh, both within the game and outside the game when you're talking about Celeste. What's your number four pick? My number four pick is Slime Rancher. Wow. I did not expect that to be in your list, actually. Well, I guess that's not in your predicted list, huh? Yeah, spoilers. Um, yeah, Slime Rancher. It just, uh, it's like, I'll, I'll talk about it at some point in this podcast, I think, but it's like, it tricks you into loving it if it's not something you're really going to love. And I, I fell for it. I'm a sucker. I love all the different slimes everything's so cute and uh yeah it's just there's there's a quite a few different ways you can play it too so um there's just there's a lot there maybe too much at times but i just i keep thinking about it man i keep thinking about wow. it. wow yeah you said it kept drawing you back yeah. when you reviewed it my number three game is death's door death's door is such a fun game to play and to replay, and I'm glad I had the excuse to replay this to get the Platinum Trophy. Uh, the game has you do that uh, infamous umbrella run, which you could do on your first try, but I didn't mind going back to this game and playing it a slightly different way. You know, I loved how you put it in our original review. You said it's got the Goldilocks effect going on. Everything is just right. I agree with that wholeheartedly. The combat is tuned perfectly. The pacing is tuned perfectly. Um, the environments are just the right size most of the time. And the combat speed, the walking speed, the rolling speed, all that stuff um, is so great. The upgrades in that game feel super satisfying. You never go wrong uh, spending your souls on any upgrade. They're all valuable and make you feel like you're making progress. It is an adventure game with lots of um, poignant moments, um, a lot of interesting folklore as well. So I loved Death's Door a lot, and it basically matched the expectations I had going in because of how much I had heard about it. So what's your number three? My number three is Iconoclasts. This is a game I've played dozens of times and I've always loved. Usually uh, games that I've played tons of times don't show up on my list, you know, here when we do this. But uh, I still had a lot of fun replaying it, you know, in a fresh save file and, and finding all the different hidden items again. It's just it's everything I love about a game. Um, it's one of my favorite games of all. It's in my top 10, including non-indie games. So, um yeah, it it belongs 
on this list, and I put it at number three. Yeah, I actually, not to spoil my predictions too much, but I wouldn't have been surprised if you put it even higher because you you talked about how it was one of your favorite games. Um, but glad you had the excuse of you know the secret games to replay it for this show. My number two is Unpacking. Unpacking is a well-constructed game top to bottom. It has so, so many um, objects are rendered so beautifully in the game. It feels good to play, even with a controller. Running a cursor around feels so good. They tailored it so well. The presentation is so clean and kind and cozy. But you know what it also has? It has a story to it. You learn about this person for whom you're unpacking. You unpack all of these scenarios throughout all these years and through both the environment you're in and the things you're unpacking, you're silently learning about this person's life. And I recognized a lot of the life moments from that game in my own life and some new perspectives that don't match up with my own life. And this game has a level of representation that I think is really important in games that not a lot of games get the the power to do. And somehow this game does all of that storytelling wordlessly, which I think is so fascinating. I loved unpacking. I, yeah, I recommend that game to basically anybody who's uh, remotely interested in indie games. Your number two. My number two is Death's Door. Oh, nice. Uh, everything you said, I love this game a lot. Um, it's actually one of the first games that I thought of uh, after Slime Rancher, of course. Uh, once we finished Disco Elysium, I'm like, gosh, what do I play now? Like, what do I do? Yeah. And Death's Door was one I thought of. I'm like, oh, I could I could start a fresh file on Death's Door. That seems fun. Um Ultimately, it was like a day before Digimon came out anyway. But uh, yeah, I just, this game is really fun to play. It's one of those ones, uh, games that ask you to collect items and you enjoy collecting those items. That's a good game in my book. And yeah. Death Store is kind of like that. A little daunting sometimes when I get into the big waves of enemies that are very challenging, but uh, usually worth it. And I, I feel so accomplished once I overcome uh, every part of Death Store. That's the game where I'm just super happy that we were so aligned yeah. on that game from this season. And it's so fun to listen back to that episode because um, there are some featured games like Doki Doki Literature Club or um, Disco Elysium or um, Kentucky Route Zero where we might not be completely aligned on like mm -hmm. what, what we liked about it. But that one, we had alignment. We had agreement there. Uh, my number one game of season two is Hollow Knight Void Heart Edition. We played it uh, super early and it stuck with me as my favorite game from the season. It's probably no surprise as it's the only game from the season I awarded a 10, but Hollow Knight, I don't know what to say that we didn't say in our review um, and that hasn't been said thousands of times all over planet Earth, but Hollow Knight is just a, a very impressively made game. It is massive it has the quantity, sure, but it also has the quality in every single inch of that quantity. It has 15 different environments that make up this kingdom, and they're all fascinating. They all have bits of lore. They all have very fun character designs. Uh, there are lots of 
little optional stories you can explore too with the side characters, or you can just skip all of that and mainline the bosses and you don't even have to fight every boss in the game. You also can have so much freedom with the order that you pick up upgrades and it's sort of a go at your own pace adventure um, or there's a way to speed run it too, you know? So there's a lot of ways to enjoy Hollow Knight and um, it has great combat, great platforming, great exploration. Those are the three pillars that it masters. And so um, I really did not have a weak moment in Hollow Knight other than maybe sometimes when I was frustrated by a really hard boss, but those bosses were things that I overcame eventually and I felt really rewarded. So yeah, I'm gonna cherish Hollow Knight for the rest of my life. It is among some of my favorite games. I put it into my top 100 games overall list in my top 20 after I played it. So uh, I hope that that's a testament to how much I loved it. Um, Your number one, Disco Cola. Yes, my number one. I did omit Hollow Knight from this list. Uh, That doesn't mean I don't love the game. It's uh, probably my third favorite indie, maybe my fourth. Um, But it is not my number one for this season. My number one goes to a great experience that I had with unpacking. Nice. Um, Everything you said about unpacking, um, but I also had the rare opportunity to play an indie game with my wife, and I just, I cherish uh, that memory and and playing that with her, and the music's great, too. Just pixel art, great music, fun experience, Um, a game that I was really looking forward to and building up in my head before it came out, usually that uh, comes at a disadvantage when it finally arrives, but I was not disappointed with unpacking. I had a lot of fun. So unpacking is my number one pick. That makes me so happy. And yeah, I think it's a special game. I it, That's another one actually that met my expectations because of how many good things I had heard about it. And uh, now I guess I want to know, were you right with uh, your prediction of what my top five would be? Again, my top five were... Omno at number five, Celeste at number four, Death Store at number three, Unpacking at number two, and Hollow Knight Voidheart Edition at number one. How'd you do? I had three of the games, but only one of them was in the correct spot. Okay. Uh, I had Omno at five. I had What Remains of Edith Finch at four. That was a that was a good prediction. Uh, I had Disco Elysium at three. Okay. I thought you had a lot of fun and maybe a little bit of recency there. Yep. Um, I had Hollow Knight at two and Death's Door at one. Oh, nice. I like those predictions. I think overall you fared better than my predictions. (laughs) So in my list, I had three games, but not really in the right spots. So for your number five, you had Celeste. For my prediction of your number five, I had Doki Doki Literature Club Plus. Fair, fair assumption. Uh, Simply because you scored that so high. Your number four was Slime Rancher. My prediction was Death's Door there, so you ended up ranking it two spots higher. Uh, Number three was Iconoclast for you, and I predicted Hollow Knight at that spot. Fair guess. Yep. Uh, Your number two was Death's Door. I predicted Unpacking. Mm, Very close. Yeah, Yeah, very close. And then your number one was Unpacking, and I predicted Iconoclast, actually, because you said it's one of your favorite games. So I thought, oh, maybe you're going to give it that top award to give it some 
extra spotlights. I wasn't there, sure if you were even going to guess Iconoclast after the Hyperlight Drifter thing from last season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess you didn't say that you were going to do that with Iconoclast. I didn't, so. yeah. Um, yeah. All right. That was fun. I uh, enjoyed that. Yes. <laughs> now we move on to Jealous Games. This is where we focus only on our secret games and we each share a game the other person played this season and reviewed that we want to play or wish we had picked ourselves. So what was your jealous game? I'm Omno, obviously. Yeah. Uh, no it, surprise. It was it was Grapple Dog. Um, but, <laughs> For many weeks. Yeah, but Omno sounds like my total total jam. So uh, yeah, very easy choice there. Yeah, it was it was very easy to predict that. I have a jealous game, and it might not be what you expect, but uh, let's see. It is actually now. I know that Iconoclast, you rated a ten, is yeah. one of your favorite games. I know. And I wouldn't mind playing that someday. That's but not what I'm expecting you to say. What do you expect me to say? I'm guessing Creature in the Well. That's correct. Creature in the Well uh-huh. is because I've just kind of been on this kick of fun arcadey action games. I played a few of them for our season in our secret games. And this definitely seems like it fits in that broad umbrella of things. So... I don't know. It's been on my radar for years and looks like it has a fairly easy platinum. Um, You know, it wasn't a perfect game to you by any stretch, but uh, that's one that I would sit down over a couple days and play and probably have a lot of fun with. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's time for underrated games or games they don't get. This is where we don't have to have an entry if we really don't feel passionate about this. But the way this topic is interpreted can be incredibly subjective. We can each mention a game Secret or featured from season two, that's something along the lines of being misunderstood by others, um, having gamer or critic review scores we feel are too harsh, or just being quite literally underplayed and not enjoyed by enough people in a way that's heartbreaking. So did you have an underrated game or game they don't get? Yeah, um... I said it in the episode, but Iconoclasts, uh, I think this game is near perfect, and I still stand by that. And it's beloved in general by the people who have played it, uh, but just just more people need to play it. Man, it's such a great game. Mine is Grapple Dog. So mine is really appreciated and loved by people who have played it. It has very positive uh, reviews on platforms like Steam, but I just don't see enough people talking about it. So that's how I'm interpreting it this time mm-hmm. is I just wish more people were latching on to this game, giving it a chance. It might Some of that might have to do with the fact that it's only on, I think, PC and Switch. I hope it can get maybe a port to more platforms someday. But, you know, I was looking on Steam. It only has like... 150 reviews, which is an indicator that not many people have played the game. So that's just really unfortunate to me. But um, the game's lovingly made. It is super polished and and clean and fun and cute. Uh, It's a great platformer. So I recommend Grapple Dog highly. Um, And now we're going to move on to basically the inverse of that category, overrated games or games we don't get. And again, we don't have to have an entry here if we don't feel passionately about it, but we can interpret it. Very subjectively, uh, we can each mention a game 
that is something along the lines of being overpraised by others, um, having review scores we feel are too generous, or just being overenjoyed by a lot of people and having this really big moment in sub-popular culture in a way that's like confusing um, or appalling even. So uh, I'll start with this one. I actually did have an overrated game, and it is an easy pick for me. It's 12 minutes. 12 minutes... Uh, I gave a four out of 10. I actually think 12 minutes is a pretty offensive game, an irresponsible game in a number of ways, and one that story-wise was surprising and shocking in a way, but shocking for shock's sake, not necessarily in a way that that had a meaningful payoff for me. So I was disappointed by the end of 12 minutes. I thought the destination of that game was a letdown. And there were things I enjoyed about it, but overall the experience is just not one I would want to have again. So that's why 12 Minutes is my overrated game. Did you have an entry for this category? Uh, I think you're right uh, on that. Um, I didn't put it down because I thought that a lot of reviews were really low for it, but now that I'm Googling it, a lot of reviews are still pretty high for for 12 Minutes. It was nominated for Game Awards. I think it was indie game nominated, but Yeah, but yeah. Uh, what I did have down, uh, which I feel bad about because the guys at Cardboard Computer seem great, but Kentucky Route Zero, um, I did like it a little bit more than Disco Elysium, and they do kind of like have a similar vibe. Yeah. Um, but I think with Disco Elysium, there is a little bit of an expectation that the game isn't necessarily for everyone, whereas mm. Kentucky Route doesn't feel like it has that sort of expectation. Um It feels like an art film, so by that nature alone, its appeal is going to be limited, um, and it plays similar to a choose-your-own-adventure, but is still largely linear. Um, It's a lot like a walking sim and visual novel, uh, but introduces so many threads, and and most of them are just really short and fantastical experiences. Hmm. I still stand by saying that it's one of the best depictions of income despair, um, but it didn't get to land that point as effectively as it could have by being just a little bit more straightforward. So I think Kentucky Route Zero is just a little bit overrated. I think that's fair. Um, I I don't think it's a game for everybody, Um, but it does seem like most of the reviews and and feedback I see about it online is just um, more universally positive than maybe Disco Elysium because I think a lot of people recognize Disco Elysium is um, very much trying to do that CRPG thing, which is a, a genre that's recognized. Kentucky Route Zero is more experimental and kind of a newer feeling game genre-wise, but still it's not uh, really, I guess I haven't seen as many negative things about that. But I, I think it's as divisive as probably Disco Elysium. Okay. Um, but uh, just people aren't willing to admit that for some reason. <laughs> now our biggest surprises. This is uh, another one where it can be incredibly subjective, but we're looking at all the games we played. These are the qualities from them that were unexpected, and they can be positive surprises, neutral surprises, or negative surprises. And it could be about anything, like a story moment. It could be about um, how a game didn't really uh, match your expectations genre-wise. Maybe you thought a game would be more action-oriented, and it was it was more story-oriented or something like that. Or maybe you expected to play as a certain character more. Uh, I have... Five surprises on my side. Uh, how many surprises did you write down? I also did five this time. Why don't you start with your first surprise? Okay, my first surprise is 12 minutes. The main twist uh, was a massive 
surprise. And I even watched some like gameplay on Twitch before uh, Underplayed was a thing. So um, that was a big surprise to me. My first surprise is, and it's kind of a kind of a meta thing, and it's a trend I noticed actually. Okay. How many games we played that referenced other games? Oh. Okay. So I actually wrote down all the examples. This is super fascinating. And this is roughly in order that we played them. And it runs across both secret and featured games. So What Remains of Edith Finch referenced The Unfinished Swan. Right. Death's Door referenced Titan Souls, or kind of tied into Titan Souls in a way. Snakey Bus, one of my secret games, referenced Cluster Truck, an indie game I've played. Creeks, which was one of your secret game, had references to Machinarium and possibly other Amanita design games. Mm -hmm. Replica, my second to last secret game, referenced Please Don't Touch Anything and The Stanley Parable. So that one had two references. Um, and then just as kind of a bonus, Unpacking has <laughs> a lot a has yeah. a lot of video game cases you can organize, and there are references to actual video games, as well as DVD and Blu-ray cases. So there's like little references to like Jaws and other other fun classic movies. So I was just a, like astounded at how often that happened. Uh, a good like half dozen examples there. I wouldn't have thought to keep track. Yeah. So what's your next My surprise? next one uh, is in What Remains of Edith Finch. I didn't know too much about the game going in, uh, and I still think about some of the unexpected natures of uh, the deaths of other Finches. Um, and, of course, I'm always thinking about the the little girl, the first one, whose name I don't remember now. Yes. Uh, that was definitely a strange experience. Yes, there's some shocking things that happen in that game, uh, death-wise. And they're all different, which is super fascinating to me, that you can see death after death after death, and each of them feels very new. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And sometimes ties into um, just thematically what those characters are are about, too. My next surprise is how much I enjoyed the developer commentary in Dear Esther Landmark Edition. Uh, this was something I never would have done if it wasn't tied to a trophy, but to get 100%, I had to do a whole playthrough where I collected these pickups that played commentary from the lead writer, lead artist, and lead musician, I believe. And hearing these three talk back and forth, not only about their game, but just about their philosophy in game development in general, is, in my opinion, a superior experience to playing the actual game. And... <laughs> Sitting there and listening to all of their commentaries actually multiplies the playthrough time, and yet I still enjoyed it uh, more than the base game. Yeah, how much I enjoyed that. Uh, my next one is Wilmot's Warehouse. Uh, just how quickly one can become overwhelmed playing <laughs> yes. Wilmot's Warehouse. It's a pretty unassuming looking game yeah. at first. Lots of like a cute face. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was going to be so relaxing, but you get get about 110 items in the warehouse and suddenly you're like, oh, oh no, what what do I do? Yes. <laughs> and uh, I, I did get to that point. Uh, I do want to update actually, if I may, sure. as an aside sure. on Wilmot. Um, I suggested that there were only 200 items that you can get overall in the game. Okay. You get 200 of a total 500 possible items. 
Oh, and each playthrough is different? Yes. That's and interesting. So that makes some of the trophy hunting a little bit more difficult. More variables. Yes. And it makes it a little little bit harder to write a guide yeah. for that game, I imagine. But I did also find out that you can you can Manipulate. force the ending to happen regardless of your performance. Oh, okay. So. Interesting. All right. My next surprise is, <laughs> it's probably in your list, I don't know. Uh, the Weekend with Yuri in Doki Doki <laughs> Literature Club Plus. I won't spoil what it is, but you spend a weekend doing something with the character Yuri, and it is so shocking. It is horrifying. I have the image of what it is seared in my mind. That's all I'm going to say. So. Did, did you notice that there's a, a certain color that changes as the weekend goes on? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's a little detail. That makes sense to me if yeah. we're thinking about the same thing. It's it's a detail I wouldn't have thought anyone to think of in the <laughs> development process, but so they did. Uh, yep. What's your next one? Uh, my next surprise is Slime Rancher. I just I didn't expect to love this game as much as I do. Well, I don't I don't love it, but I enjoy it. It's it's like an app game. It like tricks your brain. <laughs> so I'm I'm stuck, but um yeah, it that that is my next surprise. I honestly wish I I had that same experience when I played Slime Rancher. It just didn't get its hooks in me and actually kind of frustrated me. And I never got over that hump. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's daunting to get to the point where like money isn't a limited resource because when money's still mm, like pretty limited, yeah. it can be very frustrating. Yeah, I just didn't get past that three hour mark or so where some things might become easier. So my next surprise is. The degree in unpacking at the end of one of the stages in unpacking when you're living with a significant other, oh, yeah. the degree, mm -hmm. you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That moment when you realize you have to put it in a certain location and what the implication of that is, that also clues you into where the story might go and then your suspicions are correct. Wow. And the game is masterfully designed so that with the default settings, after you place everything in the house or the apartment or the room that you're living in, once everything is in a spot, only then does the game tell you what is not in the proper spot. And in that stage, I had placed pretty much everything in a proper spot except for that degree. So I feel like 99% of people are going to be forced to reckon with that object at the end of that stage, and it's going to be the freshest in their mind before they move on to the next stage. So, yeah, I that is just such a genius moment for me and uh, one I didn't expect. I agree with you. Uh, my final surprise is from Hollow Knight and how much you loved it, and I didn't expect oh, that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's my third or fourth favorite indie of all time. That puts it in my top 20. Uh, but I I really didn't expect Hollow Knight to be your first perfect ten. Wow, nice. Played. I like how that surprise was a little bit uh, meta, a little bit outside the game, but still involving one of my favorite games we've played for underplayed. Yeah, I loved it so much. I spent a couple of Saturdays just sitting there playing the game nonstop, and that's why that game made my hand hurt. <laughs> um, and the game making my hand hurt is not my last surprise. My last surprise is what happened to Kuno in my playthrough of Disco Elysium, the final cuts. What happened to Kuno in my playthrough is something I 
expound on a little bit more in our review. So you can go back to last episode and, and hear more about that closer to the end. But the reason that thing happened to him is because of a glitch that caused me to not be able to do something, which caused an event to go badly, which caused something to happen to Kuno. And I don't think that that story turn was ultimately within my control, unfortunately. But I'm so glad in a way that that glitch did happen because otherwise I wouldn't have seen this super interesting story turn um, where my opinion on something in the game changed um, in a positive way. So what happened to Kuno is something that uh, if you didn't experience it in your game, I, I recommend you look up a video about it just to see what it's like. Yeah, uh, I, I too. Okay, yeah, you should. I'll try to find one maybe and send it to you. Um, now we move on to our favorite moments. This is, again, choose up to five, selecting from all the games we played. List a few gaming moments that were our favorites. So a favorite story beat, a favorite combat encounter, a favorite item we might have used, a favorite challenge we surmounted, any kind of surprise reveal that was really good. What uh, was your first favorite moment? My first favorite moment is from Death's Door and finally finishing the Umbrella Run. I didn't have, you know, too too much of a terrible time up until the final boss, uh, and I didn't have a terrible time fighting the final boss the first time, but in the Umbrella Run, I was just, I was stuck on him for an hour, and just that satisfying moment when that boss collapses to the ground and it's over, uh, it's just such a sense of accomplishment washed over me. Nice. I agree. That is such a fascinating uh, and fun run. My first favorite moment is the rap battle in Golf Story. I mentioned this super briefly in my review, and this could also probably count as a surprise, but I wanted to put it here because I don't think I've seen a, a better rap battle in uh, fictional media, uh, in any medium. Um, it happens between an elderly person and a young person, and it happens at this like um, spotless um, utopian golf course where all of these old people run the show. And these punks, these young punks are trying to like encroach on their turf. Uh, so there's like this turf war going on. And the way they kind of settle it is through this rap battle. And it's an old guy <laughs> and a young guy. And it just comes out of nowhere. It's so goofy, but it's also really clever. And it made me sit there, even though I'm just reading the text because there's no spoken VO in that game. I thought the writing was really clever. So. You know, um, KZUM puts together promos for every episode of podcasts, and uh, your your comments about the the rap battle make <laughs> it into uh, that promo for that episode of yeah, Underplayed. It, it's kind of a shocking moment in the game, and it's also a shocking comment to hear in someone's <laughs> review. What's your next favorite moment? My next favorite moment actually comes from Momodora, uh, and it is defeating bosses that felt punishing the year before, uh, but defeating them without taking any damage and receiving their special item. Nice. Um, yeah, that's that's it. There were pauses that, you know, I remember being just so challenging when I played it the first time, but uh, overcame them with not as much difficulty as I expected. So that would be my favorite moment. How about you? My next favorite moment was fighting Traitor Lord alongside Cloth in Hollow Knight. Voidheart edition. So if you do the right kinds of steps with certain side characters, they show up in different places. And Cloth was one of my favorite examples of this. So I interacted with Cloth in all of the right spots. And then she showed up 
in the fight against Traitor Lord and hopped out of nowhere. And I thought this would just be a one-on-one battle. I start the battle and there she is. And she goes, ha ha. And that I just, I keep thinking about that and it is so fun. And I know that it's because of what I did to get her there. Mm -hmm. And it's a great um, redemption for her. She's trying to prove her courage and her worth in that moment. So loved that fight. Yeah, a lot. I agree. I think that's a cool thing. Got it the first time I played Hollow Knight, and now I avoid it every single time after. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see why. Um, yeah, super cool moment. Uh, my next one is in Celeste fighting, uh, air quotes, Badalyn. Uh I think that that combat just feels so nice compared to other parts of the game. Um, uh, also in Celeste, finding out that Madeline doesn't have a smartphone. I think about that all the time. I love Are it. Are these combined into one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm cheating. That's fine. I love it. Yeah. The fight with Badalyn on paper seems like it shouldn't work. Like if you described what, what that should feel like, mm-hmm. but then in practice, it feels super good. And yeah. it, it always felt like I was in control of what was going on. My next favorite moment is the last two minutes of... Dear Esther Landmark Edition. Um, The last sequence in Dear Esther is slow and feels super dark. And then the last two minutes happen, and it was, again, a surprising moment, but one that I think was a great conclusion to a game that kind of had its ups and downs with emotion. And so I'm glad it ended on kind of a high hopeful note in a way and one that um, did not resemble anything that I was expecting. So. I think uh, I think maybe the Chinese room does that pretty well, I guess, because uh, a similar thing could probably be said about um, everybody's gone to the rapture. Nice. So. Yeah. Uh, my next favorite moment, uh, it's several moments, I guess, but all of the same genre, Disco Elysium and finding... Uh, those vulnerabilities in a village full of suffering and squalor. Um, I even took some photos of some really profound pieces of text that show up on my screen. That might not have made it into the episode. It's hard to say at this point, but in a game where I found most of the characters like pretty insufferable, um, those moments of like true sadness or or vulnerability were were especially moving. So uh, I would say finding those people in Disco Elysium. Yeah. The writing in Disco Elysium is beautiful and sometimes it manifests in people revealing their true feelings. And um, I I think about, you know, the girl on the ice next to the tents. You mentioned a comment from her. My next favorite moment is something that's also emotional. And it involved a moment at the end of Kentucky Route Zero TV edition. It's the memorial service. I thought about putting in the concerts um, from Act 3 in that game, but mm. I feel like that's the moment everybody talks about the most. So I'm choosing the final moment from Act 5 when this community comes together, and it's this moment of, again, kind of hopefulness, togetherness, and one that I found myself tearing up at, and I didn't expect to feel that way at the end of an act that resembles almost um, – nothing else in the game leading up to it. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a very powerful moment, a very powerful song to conclude with. Yes. Music always always uh, gets me, man. 
Um, my final favorite moment is from unpacking and just finishing the game and, you know, saying, okay, honey, I have to, I have to go take a shower. You know, we only have so many minutes before the baby wakes up <laughs> and she's like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, redo some of these rooms and just like leaving the room and like oh, having nice. her still playing. I'm like, yeah, nice. So unpacking. Nice. My favorite moment. My, uh, I guess mine aren't really ranked. Mine are just kind of unsorted. Oh, mine weren't ranked either, but that oh, okay. is my favorite moment. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> uh, my last favorite moment was um, riding legendary animals in Omno. This is something you do to transition between major segments of the game. Um, there are 10 main areas, but there isn't even a legendary animal between each of those 10. There are only five in the game. And I love the creature designs. When they happen, the music swells and you're flying through the sky or, you know, maybe the animal is a big walking animal and is walking you there. I don't want to spoil what they are because I think you should see it yourself, but they all look different. They're all awe-inspiring. They're all cool. Um, so I loved those legendary animals in Omno. And I also love that they're tied to trophies too. Uh, <laughs> now it's time for our favorite characters, selecting from all the games we played. Uh, we each pick characters who are special to us. We can choose up to five each. I chose five characters. Did you choose five? I chose five games, but I can I can choose just one from each of those games that have multiples. Okay, I'll start. Um, one of my favorite characters. Now, <laughs> I kind of started with Hollow Knight, and I'm like, which character do I pick from Hollow Knight? I wrote down a few. I'm going to go with Cornifer. Um, Cornifer is one that you and I... <laughs> we quote a lot um, just as humming to let you know he's nearby and you know that he is very important to help you find your way around there's a usefulness to him he is just kind-hearted i like talking to him in the town so cornifer is one of my favorite characters from season two uh i love cornifer a lot uh i also picked one from hollow knight and i picked elderbug Nice. Uh, I shared all those reasons in the in the episode, but I just think he's he's just doing his best, and he's you know doing his duty, and he's waiting for passersby. And uh, yeah, I love Elderbug's dedication. My next favorite character is from one of my secret games, Hossein Shirazi from 1979 Revolution Black Friday, and this is a character that's the brother of the main character Reza. And he is a member of the Shah's secret police, which is a force that you're kind of rebelling against yourself as Reza. So it creates this family drama in the game. And I would say that Hussein is one of my favorite characters because of the story opportunities he gives you as the player. You can either side with him and look out for him and you grow close, or you can choose to protect other characters and Hussein will recognize that and actually do bad things to you. And so it creates uh, some interesting divergent paths in that story. Um, and I think uh, Hussein basically elevates the story of 1979 Revolution. Uh, my next favorite character is the Gravedigger from Death's Door. I think he offers just these nice moments in between boss fights. Um, and there's more depth to his story, too, if you choose to pursue it. And if you don't, you still get... Um, just nice interactions with him. So uh, the Gravedigger from Death's Door. My next uh, favorite character is one of the playable cats from Cat Lateral Damage Remyouster. It's <laughs> Catzilla, who is the completely black cat I talked about in that 
final anecdote about that game. My cat at home is black, playing as the black catzilla to mop up the trophies was super fun. Um, the cats don't really have major differences in their stats. The biggest difference you're going to notice is their appearance, what color their fur is. So I just like that there was a black cat in this game to match the cat I have. Uh, my next one might surprise you, but it comes from Kentucky Route Zero. Now, I put down two, um, Shannon and Kate. Kate is the one that drives the boat. But if I had to pick just one, I think I'd pick Kate. Shannon's cool. Um, love everything about her. But Kate just has this um, down-to-earth nature about her that I, I I really enjoyed, even though I can never remember her name without looking it up. Um, but I did really like Kate. I, I think I remember all those boat characters kind of coming out of nowhere for me. And so oh, I, they didn't absolutely. stick. Yeah, yeah, they didn't stick in my mind. So that's, that's one of my least favorite things about Kentucky Route Zero. But I really liked Kate Interesting. And, and talking okay. to her as um as the little boy uh, whose name is Ezra. I, Ezra. Yeah. I, talked to, I talked to her as Ezra. Oh, that was nice. One of my favorite conversations in the game. Very cool. Yeah, I love whenever Ezra interacts with an adult in that one in that game. My next favorite character is just Madeline from Celeste. Um, we've said so much about Celeste and, and Madeline already, but I love the interactions she has with Theo and uh, Mr. Oshiro and all the other characters. Um, she has relatable problems, and I, I just wish her the best <laughs> anytime <laughs> I play Celeste. Uh, my next one might be a bit... Obvious, uh, but Kim Kitsuragi, I think he's great. I think he's everybody's favorite. Uh, I actually, I have this uh, gif I need to show you a little bit later, but um, yeah, he's just a sweetheart. Uh, there's also a lot of people from Disco Elysium. Not a lot. There's a couple people from Disco Elysium that I do like, um, like Tommy Mignana and uh, mm. the girl on the ice. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, those those guys really stand out in a game full of people that I just hate talking to so yeah uh my last pick for this category is also kim Ketsuragi. uh everything you said um everything we said in our original review he is a great sounding board he's a voice of reason um he's calm and down to earth and that's everything i need in that game where everybody <laughs> is just so ugly so yeah there's nothing to hate about kim Ketsuragi. and some of my Hardest decisions in that game were when I wanted to do something, but doing that thing meant that Kim would be removed for an entire day, and he was extra useful on the days when I hadn't uh, relearned my identity or where I was to the fullest, so I needed him around to help me out. Yeah, that's my final pick. My last one is is more a relationship between two people in a game, and that's the relationship between Robin and Mina in Iconoclast. Oh. I think that uh shows one of the more authentic just friendships like nice. most realistic and authentic friendships in a game that I've seen so um and they're just mostly delightful characters anyways so nice uh well now we're going to move on to our final three categories and last season we would have only had two categories left we're adding in a new category and it's favorite story so selecting from all the games we played we're going to pick the narrative that has stuck with us the most. So um, what was your favorite story? Uh, my favorite story is Iconoclasts. Spoilers, maybe, but uh, there's a lot of events that lead to the collapse of a major organization hmm. uh, and the way some of it happens because of your party and some of it happens 
in front of your party. And then some of it happens off screen. Um, all of that together just makes for a really organic feeling turn of events. Um, you're, you're reminded that you and your team are only a cog. You're an important cog in this, this whole, uh, set of events. Um, but not absolutely everything hinges on your actions, which I think is super cool. Very nice. My favorite story is Disco Elysium, the final cut. This is a game we talked about being unpredictable. The story goes to places that you really just can't even, if you were given a hundred guesses or even a hundred years, you wouldn't be able to write out some of the things that happen. And uh, the story kind of reinforces how important the history is to this world. Um, And you can really delve deep and get the full 6,000 year history of this world if you want. There's a lot there to chew on. Or you can just enjoy the game at more of a surface level, and just the adventure that your detective is going on. So I like that you can kind of pick and choose what you value in this story, and that if you want to keep going, there is so much in this game. There are over a million words. Um, There are stories, not just at a traditional narrative level, but also stories for items and conflicts and characters. Lots of writing going on in this. It was written by a novelist, uh, so it just has a lot of that detail that uh, other games just don't have. So I loved uh, Disco Elysium's stories and uh, emphasis on the pluralization there. So uh, favorite visuals. This is where we select from all the games we played. We pick a game with the graphics and visual style we loved the most. I'm going to start with this one. I'm going to pick Hollow Knight Voidheart Edition. I knew it. You knew it. Uh, One of the reasons I enjoyed this game so much is, um, you know, for 40, 50 hours that I played is because it was beautiful to look at. All of the 15 different environments have their own visual style and their own uh, boss and enemy designs, and yet they all make sense in the same world. Uh, the, The game is brooding and dark and dangerous, and yet at the same time, we're looking at character models that on their own look really kind of cute and adorable mm-hmm. a lot of the time. So there's a lot of emotion, a lot of darkness and lightness to how this game world looks. And um, I'm just so impressed that this game was made with such a small team and that they were able to make something so beautiful. So. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, my pick might be a little bit more shallow, but uh, I picked Iconoclasts. Yeah, um, <laughs> there you I'm, go. A, I'm a sucker for pixel art, especially the 16-bit style. Um, and on top of that, Konjak does some of my favorite pixel art that there is out there. He just manages to find a way to put um, his shading technique is so fascinating. Uh, and he puts so much character in the animations of, of characters, so much life in the animation of characters. Um, so, yeah, it's it's an easy pick for me. Iconoclast one of the reasons. One of the reasons I always buy indie games, but uh, that's one of the reasons I bought Iconoclast. Sweet. Uh, In our final category, favorite soundscape. Selecting from all the games we played, we each pick a game with our favorite sound. We can lean on music or sound design or voiceover performance with any kind of weight that we want. So my favorite soundscape is a game we haven't really mentioned yet. It's Aerial Knights Never Yield. Nice. Uh, The blend of... Uh, R&B, hip-hop, and funk 
in the soundtrack is the reason this game has so much of its style, and it's the reason why I enjoyed playing the game so much. So I can't deny that. It's a pretty simple explanation. I have gone back and re-listened to that soundtrack, so that's a that's a testament to how much I love the music in Aerial Knights Never Yield. Excellent. Um, Hollow Knight is my pick. Um, I think the music in Hollow Knight is the toppest of top-notch. Uh, the sound effects also do a lot for the combat and just make it that much more immersive. However, I I do need to say that I have listened to the songs by the Bedquilt Ramblers oh, like a billion times. From Kentucky Route yeah, Zero. since we played Kentucky Route Zero. Yes. So if, if we're talking about pure minutes spent on music <laughs> and sound, uh, I, I would have to say Kentucky Route, but... Nice. That's a good honorable mention to say there. And that is the final category for part one of this episode, (laughs) which is our season two recap and reflection. It was a great season. Thank you for joining me on season two. And I'm looking forward to season three, Disco Cola. And segue, we're going to plan the featured games for season three now in part two of this episode. Yes. So here's where we where we would play another <laughs> music track to transition. Um, but this is going to be a messier part of the Super episode. Games. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we got something in there. That's good. But this is going to be a little sloppy. And we're going to go back and forth. And again, we have a master list of eligible featured games. We're each going to take turns um picking a a game from this list of 100 to create our list of 10 season 3 featured games and i need to pull up yeah. the document yeah, actually yeah pull that up <laughs> what we've done in the past week is actually pretty incredible we have each come up with ideas for featured games we've vetted them uh outside of this episode our last season finale we did all of that vetting in the episode and we've decided to streamline it a little bit We're going to keep that vetting outside the recording. Now we just have the games. We're just doing the picking and we're rationalizing like which games we should pick, what order we should play them in, and what kinds of genres we should represent. So we've taken all the vetted games. We've split them into 10 different sublists by genre. So our games are represented by these genres, action, adventure, co-op, Horror, Metroidvania, Platformer, Puzzle, Roguelike, RPG, and Simulation. And I have several asterisks to mention here. First and foremost is that a lot of games can fit into three or four of these Mm -hmm. genre lists. Uh, For instance, is Journey an adventure game or is it a platformer? A lot of Metroidvanias, you could argue, are platformers. Uh, so I think they are platformers, but there's just so many of them that that maybe they are deserving of their own right special category. And then simulation is kind of a catch-all for <laughs> all the stuff that didn't belong. Like Goat Simulator is to, is that's a great simulation game. But um, we also have like Into the Breach, which is a strategy game into there. But we didn't have enough to formulate a strategy subgenre. Uh, in here. So 
they kind of get lumped in there. I kind of agonized over where to put a lot of the games, but there's a good representation in all 10 of the genres here. Um, some have way more games than others. I'd say the most represented one is adventure because that is a generic uh, category, I think. It's just kind of anything that is a character doing something for a long time that isn't like strictly doing platforming stages and isn't strictly doing puzzles over and over again, et cetera. So a lot of different games in the adventure category too. Um, do you up top have any observations about our vetted games as you look at this master list? Oh God, no. It's, it's just a little bit overwhelming to see it all. Like it's much more organized than it was uh, just a week ago for sure. And thank you for doing that. Yeah. But- for sure. Um, it's it's daunting to think of trying to play all of these games someday. Yes, if we eventually, I mean, we'd have to do 10 seasons worth uh, to do this much, but we're already w- working on season three. So, I mean, I know it would I know. take like five years, but we could I just it. I just think about like my life between 2012 and 2017 and how I played maybe 10 games in that whole time. Uh, and now I've played 21 games in just the last the last six months right <laughs> so yeah it's uh it, we have exponentially increased how much we play here because of this podcast um so there are one or two givens with season three i think and maybe you disagree but i, I remember one that we talked about at the tail end of our last recording before we left yes so one is that you and i are going to be at a party where we're going to play Amnesia the Dark Descent. And that's going to be in a few months as we're sitting down to record this. So I think that that would be a great way to maximize playing that game. It would be an opportunity to um, insert something into this list that we know we're already going to play. So uh, it is under the horror category. There are only five horror games in the horror category. So I'm thinking if we picked Amnesia, the Dark Descent, it would be the only horror game we pick for season three, just to help keep a balance. Okay. What do you think about that? Uh, I did have one other one that I picked from that category that I picked without even thinking about the category, to be honest. Um, uh, so I'm I'm not married to limiting it, but uh, I guess okay. that that's fine with me too if we do so. Okay. Well, how about this? Um, maybe every genre, regardless of how many games are in that genre we can pick like up to two yes uh games i think or maybe three like i think we could pick three adventure games because there are so many adventure games you know what i mean yeah but action only has maybe like 10 games maybe we limit it to about two for action um but my reasoning there is that horror we've only got five but I don't know. Across 10 games, doesn't seem like that much to have two horror right. games. Yeah. See, my my head's more like we don't have we don't have to have a horror game every season. Yes. That so. was going to be yeah, I was going to say that too. Like we don't have to have an RPG is going to was the example yeah. I was going to give. So that's fair. That's fair. So can we pick Amnesia the Dark Descent and not necessarily have it be our only horror game for the yes, season. Yes, okay. I am down with that. Okay, I'm just going to start a list here that you can see. Amnesia, The Dark Descent. So that isn't really one that, I don't know. I don't know if that counts as one of my picks. But the other quasi-given that I thought we had is that uh, we might 
want to try to do a co-op game every season, but I don't know with your availability if you see that being viable. Do you feel like we need to pick a co-op game from this co-op subgenre list? Um, I I think that we should make that a part of seasons soon, but I can't. I don't think I can commit to that for season three. So okay. I'm going to say not yet. Sounds good. All right, then. You know what I'm going to consider? Uh, I'm going to consider Amnesia: The Dark Descent my first of five picks. Okay. In that case. So I have four picks left. You have five picks left. Let's go to your first pick for season three. Okay. Um, I kind of want to cover the season opener real quick because my main limitation uh, for the upcoming season is going to be time. My work schedule is changing and uh, just things are going to be a lot more tight. So I kind of want to cover the season opener because that's going to be our long one. Sure. Um, it also doesn't have to be long. Nobody's saying we have to pick a long game. We don't too. have to, but these these two in particular, uh, I've wanted to play for the since we started underplayed. Okay. Um, and so I'm throwing out either Chris Tales or Spiritfarer. I think I would prefer. I really want to get Chris Tales out of the way, but I think I'd prefer to play Spiritfarer. Well, since. Since my first pick with Amnesia was uh, not a traditional pick, do you want me to pick between those two? Yeah, and I then think that'll so. be. Um, I'm going to pick Spiritfarer. Okay, cool. Between those, all right, Spiritfarer for season Se- for the three opener. Opener, yes, cool. Into it. Okay, just putting it in there. My second pick. Are we going to try to avoid games that are like longer than 10 hours if we can help it? If possible. Is there another number, <laughs> like a lower <laughs> number you don't want to go beyond? Uh, No. Okay. So the main story for this game is eight hours. Completionist is 10 and a half hours. Okay. It's Return of the Obra Dinn. It's a puzzle game. Uh, that was among one of my possible pools to pick from. So Perfect. Okay, that's... That's my second pick. What's okay. your second pick? So this, as we're recording this, only came out maybe two weeks ago, three. Um, but I've really been looking forward to it. The The hype from it will be gone by the time we record. But I think <laughs> uh, I do want to play Stray. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, Stray. That was on my list, too. Okay. So I think we have a lot of crossover here. Love it. Um. My next pick, Stray is, we're classifying as an adventure game. Um, So I'm going to see what, other than puzzle, adventure, horror, and simulation, I might want. And um, a short game that I know will please you that is more action-oriented but also music-oriented is Sayonara Wild Hearts. And this is one I have not played. I've always wanted to. I'm going to pick this one if you're okay with it. Yeah, that was that was in my small pool as well. I already have the physical, so uh, down, baby. Um, I really want to play Sable. Okay. Sa- how, are, how are we doing on adventure games, by the way? We have one adventure game in Stray. You could argue that Amnesia is like a horror adventure game. Maybe uh, Sinara Wild Hearts might you know, one of its secondary genres might be adventure, but we only have one from the adventure category. Okay. Sable, I will also say, 
platform-wise, you're going to only be able to play that on PC unless it's on Switch. Oh, that's right. I forgot about so that. So you might be limited mm, on that one. Okay. S- scrap that. I can't, I can't unless commit you, to that. Unless you your PC can handle it, you think? I think it could, but I can't commit to just where my PC is located in my home. So I'm going to say not that this time and... Um, I'm going to say Solar Ash if I can. You can. Uh, that actually wasn't one of my platformers that I picked ahead of time, but it would have been my third okay. that I would have picked. Yeah, Solar Ash. I'm excited to play that. Yeah, I have no problem with that. Um, I want to pick an adventure game. Okay. So this would be our second adventure game, technically. All right. It is only like a few hours long. It is playable on Windows and Nintendo Switch, and it's relatively inexpensive. I think the last time I looked, it was $10. Okay. And it's to the moon. Okay. If you're okay with it, I'd like to put in the list. Okay. All right, let's do it. It is one of the first games that made me cry. (laughs) All right. That's all I'll say about it. Um, let's do this game that I've been putting off for years, Ukulele. Okay. In the, from the platformer category. Okay. I have played Ukulele myself, but it's been a few years. I have been putting that off for so long. Okay. So it's down to the last two picks. I have my last pick here. I don't think I can pick a platformer because now we have Solar Ash and Ukulele. Okay. So I think it would be a little unfair to pick a third. So I'm going to disregard that category. I want to pick a game that makes me a little uncomfortable. I want to pick a game that, again, still short, but a game that might not be one that uh, adheres to my sensibilities, but I know adheres to tons of other people's sensibilities. You know what I mean? Uh Uh-huh. I want to pick a roguelike, which I know isn't always our favorite genre. Right. But we have a lot of options. We do. And I just looked up two of them. One was Slay the Spire, which is slightly longer than my other pick, Risk of Rain. Okay. So Risk of Rain is four and a half hours for the main story, according to How Long to Beat. But a completionist run could take 52 hours. Oof. Uh So I know that's a lot, but if you're just looking to play the story and get that done for the recording, that would be only four and a half hours or so. But uh, Slay the Spire is uh, 11 hours, and then that game, the sky is the limit with it, so it's not something you would probably do naturally, but completionists can take over 200 hours with that game. But I'm not saying saying you yourself would want to do that. So. Um, does that sound dangerous? And if so, I can explore a different genre. Well, um, I've heard great things about Slay the Spire, honestly. Um, I've played a few minutes, honestly, of, um, Risk of Rain. Rain. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I would play it, obviously, for underplayed. It wasn't my favorite thing in the time I experienced it, but, um, I am okay with either... Uh, I've heard really good things about Slay the Spire, though. Okay. I'm going to pick Slay the Spire as my fifth. Cool. All right. Your final pick. My final pick, um, I 
think I should try Braid, which I've also oh, heard good things about. I nice. think from the same people that recommend Slay the Spire. So Cool. Okay. Braid. I can dig it. It's a short game. It's a puzzle game. And it's one of those classic indie games from like 2008 when indie games really hit the scene hard. It's a Jonathan Blow game. He eventually developed uh, The Witness. So it's a great historic pick, Disco Cola. I really respect that. I think we have a good representation of time periods and genres in this thing. So our list that is, uh, we know is starting with Spiritfarer, but the others are not in their final spots. Spiritfarer, Amnesia, The Dark Descent, Return of the Oprah Den, Stray, Sayonara Wild Hearts, Solar Ash, To the Moon, Ukulele, Slay the Spire, and Braid. Perfect. Now, I think we should put Amnesia, The Dark Descent, in the spot nine, maybe, so, yeah. because we know it will coincide with our event where we'll play it in a more comfortable way that way. Yeah, so I think nine's good. How would you feel about maybe To the Moon second? Yeah, nice short, probably our shortest game we'll have. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Um, it does also feel like it could be a great like finale game, just in that it is... Um, a really emotionally resonant game, but I think it could go anywhere too. So um, I'll put it at two. And then after that, we could get our stray on yeah. for three. Okay. Does that feel like a three? I'd say either a three or a, I think that one would be worthy of a 10, just given okay. the love that it's gotten right at release. But um, I think I want to play it earlier in the calendar year as possible oh, just to- true sooner understand all of the praise that it's yeah. getting. So I think I would rather put it at three. Okay. That makes sense. So I stay somewhat current on that one. Um. Okay. We have two platformers to place in Solar Ash and Ukulele, uh-huh. but Stray is kind of platformer-ish. So you could, you could do like for number four, it could be something that's not so platformy. We could do like Sayonara. Sayonara Wild Hearts. Yeah, I think that's a good four. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to say Sayonara. Okay. Behind Spiritfarer, I think the longest game will maybe, could be Slay the Spire, depending on how much you want to do in that game. So it could resemble our episode 10s of season one and two, where those were longer games with mm-hmm. Outer Wilds and Disco Elysium. So we could put Slay the Spire at number 10, maybe, and... If you ever have free time, you can kind of chip away at it leading up to episode 10. I think that would be the most convenient thing. Um, Yeah, I think that makes sense. So we have Spiritfarer at one, To the Moon at two, Stray at three, Sayonara Wild Hearts at four, Amnesia the Dark Descent all the way down at nine, and then Slay the Spire at 10. So we need to fill five, six, seven, and eight between Return of the Oberdin, Solar Ash, ukulele and braid and what's funny about that is that's basically two puzzle games and two platforms (laughs) so we could do every other um or we can also rearrange our spots two through four too um let's do braid i think braid right before uh amnesia Sounds good. Braid at number eight. I'm just saying stuff. I actually don't know anything about Braid, to be honest. Braid is a side-scrolling. Actually, you could argue that it's you know a puzzle platformer. You're manipulating time. You're 
finding puzzle pieces and unlocking switches, figuring out how to progress. It's mostly a puzzle game, I would argue. So um, I think that's fitting as a puzzle game before a horror game. And since that's a puzzle game at eight, I think we should put a platformer before it. And I think either Solar Ash or Ukulele would be different enough because those are 3D platformers. I really don't care what comes first. Uh, Let's do... Solar Ash at seven, okay. arbitra- semi-arbitrarily. All right. And then I want to put Obradin at six, and then Ukulele at five. Okay. Let's take a look at this with all the words right next to each other. So in this pretty much final version, we have Spiritfarer at one, To the Moon at two, Stray at three, Sayonara Wild Hearts at four, Five is ukulele, six is Return of the Oberdin, seven is Solar Ash, eight is Braid, nine is Amnesia Dark Descent, and ten is Slay the Spire. I think if you're cool with it, I might want to swap Sayonara and Oberdin. I don't know why I okay. want to. That just feels better. I'm good with that because that would separate the puzzle games more. I'll, yeah. yeah, I'll do that in here. I like that. Okay. Any games that you've changed your mind about? Oh, that's a good question. No, I haven't changed my mind. Okay. So uh, real quick, are all of these on our preferred platform? Because I, ha- I already have one, two, three, four four of these and i know that two of the other ones are available on my platform yeah so spirit so what's your preferred platform playstation playstation 4 4, yeah uh they're all on playstation except for to the moon okay awesome yeah Yeah. and that's the right amount of games that you still need to buy versus games that yes i think i will be okay uh financial i I don't know how much braid costs but that's the only one that i'm even remotely worried about we're coming back because we just found out that Braid... <laughs> I'm going to keep all of that in and <laughs> no, you're going to sound please, like a crazy person. For the love of God, don't. <laughs> um, so Braid uh, is coming out with an anniversary edition soon, maybe? Question mark? Uh, so we're going to wait for that and instead... You know what? Let's keep it in the puzzle category uh, and do... Baba is you, oh, if that's okay. That is completely okay. I've been holding out on this game because I just I just know that there's going to be a physical someday. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet, um, but I've been wanting to play this for so long. Yeah, I want to play it too. I have not touched it. I know the premise. It seems super alluring. So I put it in at eight where Braid was. Is that okay? Cool. Let's check how long it takes to beat. Uh, not too long. 40 hours. Um Completionist is a little bit of a different story, but yeah, looks good. Yeah, Baba's You is a seven-hour main story, and then, ooh, yeah, long completionist time. But I'm not going to go for completion on this. I'm going to play it on PC, probably. I might do completion someday. Depends on how much I love it. It is on Switch, I believe. Yes, it is. So that's fine. Yep, so the only ones not on PlayStation for you are To the Moon and Baba is You. All the others should be on there. I am looking forward to the season very much. Oh my goodness. Awesome. Love it. Yeah. I have no problems with the order. 
So your season three order is number one, Spiritfarer, number two, To the Moon, number three, Stray, number four, Return of the Obra Dinn, number five, Ukulele, number six, Sayonara Wild Hearts, number seven, Solar Ash, number eight, Baba Is You, number nine, Amnesia the Dark Descent, number 10, Slay the Spire. And uh, in our break between seasons, we're going to be working on Spiritfarer because that is a longer game. That's why it is our first game of season three. I already know my secret game. And I think I think I can order it too. Oh, what is it? Uh Wata. Duh. Cool. Again? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I picked the same one. Good. Well, that is us figuring out our featured game lineup <laughs> of season three. That's the end of this very long episode of Underplayed at Disco Cola. Thank you so much for joining me for another season of this show. I enjoy this so much. It brings me a lot of joy. And uh, it's, yeah, it's great doing it with you. Yeah, I think this is something special and I'm really proud of all the work that we've done and everything that's coming up ahead. You can find more of our episodes at kzum.org slash underplayed and on common podcast services like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Our music was composed by Jack Rodenberg and our art comes from Oni Mochi. Underplayed is on Twitter at underplayedpod. You can find me on Twitter at bopo. That's B-O underscore P-O. And check out that same handle on the GG app where you can see my game lists and what I'm currently playing, such as those AAA third-person action games <laughs> I'm going to be playing between seasons. And I am at Disco Cola on Twitter and probably coming back to Twitch very soon, so keep your eye out for that. I'm going to be playing a lot of Digimon on the break, that's for sure. <laughs> Next time, we will be covering Spiritfarer for our Season 3 opener. Uh, there's going to be a little bit of a break between seasons, but we'll be back in a few months. And until then, everybody, keep on playing. Keep on playing.